2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're in our series, Strengthened in Our Minds. Strengthened in Our Minds. The idea behind the, the series is this. We all struggle in our minds sometimes, and we have things that we struggle with in our minds. And so the idea of the series is this. We can, with the power of Christ and the power of God's word, overcome some of those struggles. Amen? So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to show the words on the screen behind me. We also have notes that you can follow along as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 3 with me. The Bible says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We really expounded on this verse last week and how you and I, in our minds, sometimes we have strongholds in our minds. I asked a question last week or two weeks ago, how many of you are like me? You fight with the inner thoughts of your own head sometimes. Yeah. Since I said that two weeks ago, has that changed for anybody? No, we're always, always, always having battles in our minds, battles with uh, things that happen to us, battles with all these different issues and problems that life gives us. And that fact does not change. As a matter of fact, it remains. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What you think about all the time is what you'll become. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And so it's important to recognize that. We learned a few weeks ago that we all struggle with these strongholds that Paul mentions here in verse 4. We know that these strongholds are lies that Satan masterfully crafts. And if we're not careful and we leave them unchecked, against the biblical truths that we have, those lies can overtake our minds and turn our hearts and our minds into unhealthy, unscriptural, ungodly ruts. And we talked about that. The title of the message was Get Unstuck from the Rut. And so if we're not careful, those lies can become that. We also know that with the truth of God's word and the power of Christ in us, we can cast down these imaginations. We can bring these into captivity all of these thoughts, we can bring them into the captivity, the obedience of Christ. And how many are thankful for that, that we have the power over those thoughts? We don't have to always go down the same rut. We don't have to be stuck in the same way of thinking. We can have a new way of thinking. I ask this question also, what is the biggest mental stronghold that's holding you back? And for everybody, that's a different question. And, and I hope you had time to think about that. What is the biggest mental stronghold that holds you back from maybe growing spiritually or maybe overcoming something or maybe being used for God in your life? Lastly, we learned that our minds create neural pathways. Scientists call it neuroplasticity. That's how somebody like Brother Russell can start a different song, Brother Renison. I know you caught that. He can start Lily in the Valley and then switch to God on the Mountain without even looking at a sheet of music. That was amazing. I was impressed by that. Just boom. Why? Because of years and years of practice. Years and years of practice. Well, in our lives, sometimes if we think the same things over and again, all over and over again, and we go down the same path, we create ruts in our own minds. And so today, I want to move past that thought of those lies and those ruts. I want to move past that. And I want to, today, I want to deal with something a little bit different. These strongholds in our minds sometimes aren't always lies. 
Sometimes these strongholds in our minds get there because of a major life-changing event that happens to us. A major, major life-changing event that we experience. Sometimes those events create strongholds in our minds, in our minds. Every person standing right now in this room today can point back to an event in their life that completely changed them. Some events were good. I remember when I got married, my wife sitting up here this morning, she was standing about right here. Man, some of you know my wife, you know me, you think, Pastor, that was a good decision. Amen. That was a good decision. Uh, that was a good thing. There are many things that are good that happened to you, and those are good things. But guess what? There's also things that happen to all of us that aren't so good. If we're not careful, these things that happen, they can create a stronghold in our mind that keep us back, hold us back from growing spiritually and being used for God. So today I want to deal with that kind of stronghold. And here's how we're going to do it. I want to show you four people in scripture this morning. Four, uh, four people. We're going to take a case of their life. We're going to look at their life and how those four people dealt with these difficult experiences and how they overcame them. And the message title, as I mentioned, is it's all on how you frame it. And that'll make more sense throughout the message. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. There's always many distractions in our minds today. Lord, there's people here this morning that have things to do. Some, as we mentioned, just got here from work and all kinds of things in their life, distractions. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to focus on you this morning. Help us to think about the words that are being spoken and those scriptures being used. May we not think about what's coming after. May we not think about in and out, even though it's delicious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Say, Pastor, I wasn't thinking about it, but I am now. Amen. So, all right, good. Today, I want to talk about this thought of these strongholds. How many of you have heard or you've read or you've actually said 2020 was one of the worst years ever? Have you heard that, anybody? I, I, you know, we've heard that and no, 2020 was this and 2020 was that. And I'm so glad it's 2021. How many now that it's 2021, you realize it's the same as 2020? Amen. Something odd happened to me. I was, uh, Google sent me a message and it said, your, your storage is full. You need to delete some photos. And so uh, I went into my phone the other day. I was sitting on the couch and I was scrolling through my phone and I had all these photos that my kids took of themselves, you know, selfies and all the stuff in the car and of their, up their nose and of their brothers. And, and so I'm like, I got to get rid of some of these pictures. So I'm going through these pictures and I, Brother Renison, I started going through the 2020 pictures and I started seeing all these beautiful things that happened in 2020. I, can I show you a few of them this morning? Is that okay with everybody? You want to look at the photos on my phone? All right, here we go. Here we go. Let's just show, we're going to go through these quick. There's me and Rob Noltemeyer. That was, that was this last year. There's Brother Gonzalez, our youth pastor with a basketball on his head. That was pretty fun. That was, uh, slow down just a little bit, brother. Man, there you go, fast, okay? That was at our vision banquet one year ago, and that's our serving team. Boy, didn't God do something special for us in 2020? Okay, next picture there. And uh, there's me and Ethan Dossery. And, oh, I love that kid so much. All right, next picture there. And uh, there's Brother Gonzalez. He's, we redid this thing here. We repainted the auditorium. Okay, keep going. That was a great, those are great memories. Here's some young people, all of these guys, except for Brother Stewart in the orange shirt. He, he's going to marry one of these guys, but one of these girls. But uh, uh, anyway, they all grew up in our church. There's Brother Roger. He cut this thing out, and we did a lot of remodeling in 2020. Okay, keep going. We had, uh, let's see here. Uh, there, oh, isn't that good? Uh, that's one of our one of our guys there on the buses in a Saturday program. Okay, keep going there. And uh, there's Brother Stewart. He's he's fixing the ceiling, repainting the ceiling, and keep going. And this is all 2020. We remodeled the, the lobby. I remember the lobby used to look different. We forget that, didn't we? We tore out all the flooring. There used to be a window there. We we remodeled that. Keep keep going there. And uh, look at that. That's one of our outreach days during 2020. 
When everybody was worried about dying and everybody was worried about getting sick, these people put on masks and went put door hangers out, tell others about Jesus Christ. That was exciting. Okay, keep going. Uh, let's see here. There's a new floor. Keep going there. And uh, how many remember Mega Tent? And uh, we got these. We got all these tents and all these chairs. I think we had 700 chairs, 500 chairs. I don't remember how many chairs. We put up a platform outside. We all got together. Wasn't that fun? Come on, wasn't that exciting? That was 2020. Keep going there. And uh, look at that. That's Oliver. Oliver's my nephew, and he's our youth pastor's son. He was born uh, this year. And I'm so glad for babies. Amen? Just trying to pull at your heartstrings a little bit. I'll keep going. And uh, look at that beautiful, beautiful shirt I'm wearing. Amen? <laughs> and uh, I just went fishing a few times, and that was a beautiful day. And Brother Gonzalez took that picture. We were catching fish like crazy. Okay, keep going. And, uh, and there's some teenagers at an activity. And look at those smiling faces. Look at those kids. Just love the Lord. Okay, keep going. And uh, there's my son. One of my son, two of my sons there. And look at that look he's giving his brother. Yeah. When you see that kind of stuff, isn't this melt your heart? Keep going. Keep going. And uh, there's some ladies serving at our church. Wonderful ladies. Keep going. And this is all 2020. My son caught his first fish in 2020. Yeah, isn't that cool? And that's a big, good-sized fish there, okay? We didn't need it. We threw it back. So keep going. And uh, let's see. There's some other ladies serving. That was 2020. We had a kickoff for our Sunday school classes. Keep going. Keep going. And uh, look at that family, the Tankiko family over here. And aren't you guys beautiful? She said, shh, don't mention us. All right, we'll keep moving. Look at Brother Stewart. He caught that huge striper. Look at that. One of our staff guys there. Man, he did a good job. Caught a good fish there. All right. How do you remember, uh, how do you remember Hawaiian Sunday? Wasn't that fun? Man, we're going we're gonna to have Hawaiian Sunday every Sunday from now on. And, uh, and well, that was good. And that was fun. 2020. Keep going. And uh, we had services outside. We had fellowships. That was pie night. Okay, keep going. And uh, look, how do you remember Christmas? You can't tell there. That was taken real early in the thing. That filled up there. We had uh, 125 or 150, 150 first-time guests at Christmas. Several saved I sat there and froze to death. Amen. All right, next picture. Next picture. I'm hurrying. And this is our, our youth had a, had a banquet. Keep going. Keep going there. And uh, look at that family. We had some outdoor services where people got saved. And look at that family there came. They, that family came. They would have never came into our church, but we went to parks and had services. Keep going. And, uh, and there's some other kids there having a good time. Keep going. And, uh, and look at that. Look at that. Savannah. Okay, keep going. There she is right there. All right, good. And man, with all these outdoor park services, look at the smile. Everyone's having a great time. Oh, look at that. We're praying for Brother Dolar this morning. Amen. Brother Dolar in the blue shirt there, he's having, he had open heart surgery. You pray for him. And uh, he's doing well, though. He's doing well today. You keep him in prayer. And keep going, keep going. And uh, look at that. There's, there's a couple there that came in 2020. They're such wonderful people, Kamal and Beatrice. And uh, they're from Egypt, found our church. And what a blessing. Okay, keep going. And uh, there's my boys getting ready for a Christmas, uh, a Christmas thing and just having fun. Okay, keep going. And uh, I'm just showing, that's it. So what I'm trying to show you today is something I want to I prove a point here. As you look through all those pictures and you think about 2020, if all you saw were the picture on my phone, all the pictures on my phone, you'd think, man, 2020 was a great year. You understand this morning that no matter what happens in your life, whether it's good or it's bad or whatever happens, it's all in how you frame it. It's all in how you frame it. The truth is we could say 2020 had some difficult things, and it did. And yes, there was racial tensions, and yes, there was rioting, and yes, politically our, our country's divided. But you know what? Some wonderful things happened last year. Did you know that last year in our church, we had more people saved in 2020 than in the last four years at our church? I'm just, I'm just telling you this morning, you, you can look at it and say it was this, but it's all in how you frame it. I got to hurry this morning because I know you're hungry. So let's move on. 
Today, I want to try to help us. How do we frame, how do we frame things that happen to us, these events that happen to us in our life? How do you frame, here's a quote for, for you maybe to write down, but how you frame the events of your past will frame your usefulness for God now. How you allow your past to affect you will also cause how useful you are now. You can live in the past, you can let the past define you, or you can say, you know what, I'm going to let God have that thing, and I'm going to frame it the way he wants me to frame it, and I want to be useful now. I believe too many of God's people are allowing the past to cripple them, to cause them not to serve God. They cripple them with guilt, heartache, anger, bitterness, thoughts of revenge, all these things. We allow those things to define us, and it cripples us from usefulness for God. It's all in how you frame it. I want to give you four people quickly, four people quickly who didn't allow their past to frame, to frame their, their life here. So number one, if you're taking notes, let's talk about Joseph. Joseph. What do we learn from Joseph? Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 50. While you're turning there, I'm going to hang a picture here that we printed out here of Joseph. I did it pretty well in the 830 service. Let's see if I can do it now. All right, there we go. All right, so we have a picture there of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50. Just hold your spot there. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to read two verses there, 19 and 20, in just a moment. Most of you know the story of Joseph, born of Jacob and Rachel. He was a favorite in the house. He had many brothers. He was the favorite. His dad bought him a coat of many colors. He was doted upon, and his brothers hated him. How many of you are the favorite kid? Anybody here today? The favorite? Where's the favorite? Point at the favorite kid. Everyone hated you. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. I'm just joking. Uh, uh, but, but Joseph, he was the favorite, and his brothers hated him for it. And so because of that, you know the story. They captured him. They put him in a pit. They were going to kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, said, that's not a good idea. Why should we do that? Why should we have his blood on our hands? And so you know the story. They sold him as a slave. Fast forward, Joseph gets taken down to Egypt. He's now a slave, but he lives for God. He has a good attitude. He works hard. God blesses, and he secures a position in the household of Pharaoh, one of the most prominent politicians of the day. He's got a great job serving the Lord, serving this man and, 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 and living for God, really. But then something else happens. Another difficulty comes. There's a lady there, the husband of the, uh, the, the wife of the husband that he worked for, and she cast her eyes. The Bible says she cast her eyes upon him and was trying to get him to do things that he knew he shouldn't do. She knew they shouldn't do. And she kept trying. She kept trying. Finally, one day, she really went after him. And Joseph, being a righteous man, a faithful man, he ran from that situation, left his coat behind. You know, he got blamed. He got blamed for it. He got falsely accused in her anger and her her embarrassment, she accused him. And so he went to jail, prison. Can I ask you a question today? What did Joseph do wrong? He left his coat. Amen. He did. That's true. Give me my coat. What did he do wrong in his life? Nothing. He did nothing wrong. Joseph didn't do anything to deserve being sold into slavery. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Are you with me? Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Just a kid. What did he do wrong to deserve going to jail over that lady? Nothing. Matter of fact, he did what was right. He ran. He said, how can I do this against God? What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? May I just say today that sometimes in our life, things happen. And seemingly, sometimes it's for no reason. What did I do wrong? What did we do wrong? Joseph was faithful in prison. We know that the butler and the baker come to him with dreams. Both of them have a similar dream in composition, but had very different interpretations. The butler says, what's going on with me? And, 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 and Joseph was able to tell him, well, you're going to be restored and, and you'll, have your, you'll, you'll be back in your job. But the baker's, it was a different story. The baker baked his last cupcake. His life was over. 
The butler goes up to Pharaoh. He tells him, he says, tell, tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him my plight. Tell him I interpret your dream. Of course, he forgot. And so now Pharaoh has a dream and needs interpretation. And so they find Joseph. Joseph goes up. He gets pulled out of prison. He stands before Pharaoh. You know the story. He's able to interpret the dream and they're able to save the grain. And because of that sore famine that came on the land, because of Joseph's wisdom and following God and having a good spirit and not uh, giving in and not allowing these bad things to frame him, he kept serving God, kept doing what was right. And because of all that, Joseph, the Bible says, was able to save many people alive. He was able to save many lives. But the fact doesn't change and it still remains. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. All of these things that happened in his life, can you imagine? Can you just for a moment imagine your brothers hating so, hating you so much that they wanted to kill you? I mean, for real. Your brothers hating you so much that they, without, uh, without hesitation, sold you off. Can you imagine in one day going from having brothers and friends and a home and a mother and a father and a life to being a slave in one day and didn't do anything wrong? Can you imagine you're, you have a good attitude and you're, you're trying to do what's right and you're trying to, and, and can you imagine trying to do the right thing and then getting falsely accused and thrown into prison? Can you imagine that? Joseph was betrayed. He was despised. He was rejected. He was hated. He was debased. He was humiliated. He was raised as a slave. He lost his mother. He lost his father. He lost his home. Everything was ripped away from him. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 50. Look at verse 19. So Joseph got really upset and he took revenge and Joseph, no, no, that's not what happened. Look at verse 19. Joseph said unto them, his brothers, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Why does he say that? Joseph's brothers need bread. So they come up to Egypt where Joseph is and they say to Joseph, I need some bread. <laughs> we need some, they didn't recognize Joseph. Joseph, of course, knew them right away. At the end of the story, he reveals himself to his brothers. They were, they were, they were scared. Matter of fact, in chapter 45, verse 3, he tells his brothers, he, re, he does the big reveal, you know, I am Joseph, your brother. And he asked, is my father alive? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They're like, uh-oh, we we we're in deep now. <laughs> Why were they so upset? Because Joseph had the power to do exactly to them what they did to him. Joseph, at the very least, could have sent them away with no bread, and their families could have starved to death. Joseph had that in his power. He could have taken revenge. He could have done anything that he wanted to, but that's not what he did. Look at Genesis 50, verse 19. He says unto them, fear not, for am I in the what? Place of God? Am I, the, am I God, guys? Am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much peace people alive. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, am I in the place of God? What was Joseph's secret? How did he forgive his brethren? How did he move past these events that took place in his life? Joseph simply recognized who God was. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not God. We're not God. Joseph makes a statement that I think we ought to remember today. God meant it unto good. God wants to display your life as a trophy of his grace. God wants to display your life as a trophy of his grace. We need to be careful deciding what God meant when he did something. What did he mean by it? Why did God do that? Why did God allow that in my life? Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes God frames our life, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others as well. And while it might not benefit us directly, 
I'm going to ask you a question. Did it benefit Joseph directly when he was sold as a slave? No. Did it benefit him directly when he went to prison? No, it didn't. But God had a plan for him. And Joseph decided he was going to let God frame that. Let me give you number two. Let me give you the second person. I'm going to wrap all this up in the end. I got to go quickly for the next couple ones here. Number two, we see the blind man. The blind man. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter number nine. All right, John chapter. I'll hurry through these next three. That one was the longest one. So just relax. In and out will be open when you get there. All right, so. I don't know if you're going to have animal style fries today uh, or a strawberry shake. I am. Actually, I think my mom's cooking ribs today. Is that right? Yeah, I'm having ribs today. Amen. Come on now. I'll, I'll take ribs. All right, we see the blind man in John chapter. What do we learn from the blind man? We learned that our imperfections can be framed as God's perfection. God's perfection. John 9, verse 1, and Jesus passed by, saw a man. Jesus always sees, by the way. He saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and he said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Isn't that human nature? What did they do wrong? And so we find here in John chapter number nine, a man is born blind. He's born with a disability. He's found begging for food on the side of the road. In those days, when someone was blind, there was no other provision. They had to beg for their food. And so this man, he's on the side of the road. He's asking for help. He's asking for food. He's struggling. Since birth, he's struggled with this. And so he's, he's asking, he's suffering uh, from his blindness, his reproach. People automatically assume that he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. And so he's suffering with all this thing. But Jesus says that that's not the case at all. He didn't do anything wrong. His imperfection, his disability was not a result of sin. It was not a result of someone else's mistake. His imperfection was placed there on purpose to glorify God. I said to glorify God. And how many of you are like me? You have imperfections in your life. Absolutely. And many times in our life, we have these, we think, God, did you make a mistake? God, did you mean to do this? God. And so how often in our life in our lives, have we, have we had events take place that we just say, that is just not fair. It's just not fair. Please don't judge me on this too harshly. When our third son was born, Gavin, he was born and we didn't know what was going on with him, but he failed to thrive. And about two months old, he started losing weight rapidly. He almost died. And literally, he was in my wife's arms and we, he was literally just no strength. We took him to the hospital immediately. Uh, we've been to the hospital over and over again. They just kept saying, try to feed him, try to feed him. We knew something was wrong. They wouldn't help us. So finally, my wife got so fed up with it, we drove him to a different hospital and said, you have to do something. You have to do something. They treated him. They put a tube in his nose and, and helped him uh, to, uh, to get better. And so, but in that process, we found out he was diagnosed with Williams syndrome. If you don't know what Williams syndrome is, it's a little bit like Down syndrome, but it's different. It's a different chromosome. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disability. And so I remember sitting there with my wife and, and we didn't know what was going on. We didn't understand what they were saying, but she said this to me. She looked in my eyes and she said, your life will never be the same. She said, you're going to be taking care of someone with a disability. And I didn't really fully comprehend that. I do now more, but I didn't understand then. And, and, and I have to be honest, please don't judge me. But I walked away from that conversation. and I thought, why God, why did you let that happen? Why would you do that? Why would you cause... God, we're trying to do everything that we can. We're trying to serve you. We're trying to live for you. Why would we try to do everything right? God, why? Why would you let that happen? Anybody ever done that before? Now, I can tell you now, many years later, 11 years later, that that boy is the light of my life. I couldn't imagine it then, but now I, I would never trade it. Would never trade it. 
He's a joy. He's an absolute joy in our home. He makes our home a happy place. He, he makes our home joy. He binds us together. He has given us a heart for people we would have never had. And can I just say that it's all in how you frame it. I know people today, they live their entire lives focused on an imperfection, and they let that imperfection define them. When God wants to take that imperfection and do something beautiful with it, he wants to do something good with it, but we have to let him frame it that way. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, today, our imperfections might seem like it's a lot to us, but sometimes our imperfections shows us the perfection of God. And, and don't judge me on that, please, but in our lives, oftentimes we ask God, why? Why? May I just encourage you today with all the pastoral love I can say, God loves you. I said, God loves you. Amen. Jesus loves you. God never makes a mistake. Bye. Dexter, God never takes a shot and misses. He never misses a three-pointer. I mean, every time. God never takes a shot and misses. God never makes a mistake. God never does something. He doesn't have a purpose to do. God never allows something. He doesn't want to allow. God is in 100% control. He's sovereign over everything that we do, over everything that we, everything in life. God is in control. If he wasn't, I'd pack up and go home right now. But he is. He is. Okay, let's move on to Paul. It gets better. Don't worry. Relax. Let's move on to Paul. Take your Bibles and let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to hang up Paul here. Oh, don't worry. It gets encouraging. Just a moment, okay? All right. Proverbs, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. What does Paul teach us? Paul teaches us that our weakness can be framed as God's strength. Our weakness can be, can be framed as God's strength. Anybody else here say, man, I got a lot of weakness in my life. I got a lot of weakness. Me too. Look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Lest I should be exalted, Paul says, above measure through the abundance of the revelations. You know, Paul wrote almost the whole New Testament, half the New Testament. Paul had a special gift. God gave him uh, the word of God. And he said, lest I be exalted, he had given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord, how many times? Thrice, that means three times. He came to the Lord three times. He said, God, please take this from me. Would you please? And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Oh, wow. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he asked God to take it away. And God said, no. I was talking to Brother Fisher, Pastor Fisher. He just preached for us Thursday night. Helped me so much talking to him about stuff. And uh, uh, we were just driving along. He said, Brother Zell, Brother Zell, actually, we were sitting at Mexican food. Amen, Mexican food, amen. And uh, we're eating rice and beans, and we're sitting there. And, and he goes, I don't know why I, I'm telling you this. He goes, but I just I feel like I need to tell you this. And he said, I, he said, April the 14th, he said, I'm going in for open heart surgery, six bypasses. He was here Thursday. I, said, I just looked at him and said, what in the world are you doing here? He goes, I just, and here's what he said. He said, I just want to help preachers while I have the chance. I thought, wow, what a man. Amen. You pray for him, April the 14th, open heart surgery, six bypass surgery. But then he said something else to me that I'll never forget as long as I live. He said this, he said, Brother Delzell, he said, it's just part of my thorn package. Just part of my thorn. He says, it's okay. It's okay. He says, it's okay. Just part of my thorn package. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, we all kind of come with the thorn package. And all God's people said, amen. We all kind of come with that. A thorn is a sickness, a pain, a failure. Paul had to beg. He begged that God would take it away. And God said, no, that thorn is yours. And my grace is sufficient for you. 
You know, Paul could have been mad about that. Paul could have lived in defeat. Paul could have said, I quit. Paul could have said, forget this. But you know what Paul said? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians. Amen. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. He said, rejoice in Christ. He said, I, I have strength. He said, my weakness is his strength. My weakness is his strength. You know, God wants to do something with your weakness. It's all in how you frame it. It's all in how you frame it. Okay, I'm going to get to the last one here. This is an exciting one. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Amen. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 26. So we've talked about Joseph. We've talked about this blind man. We've talked about Paul. Now I want to talk about Jesus for just a moment. Matthew chapter number 26. Did you know that Jesus didn't want to go to the cross? How many knew that? Didn't want to go. I'll prove it to you. Look at Matthew chapter number 26. Look at verse 39. And he, talking about Jesus, went a little further. Him and his disciples are in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked his disciples to pray and watch for an hour. Jesus went by himself to pray. It says here, he fell on his face and he prayed. He said, oh, father, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this what? This cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. It says in verse 42 that he went away again the second time and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then in verse 44, a third time he went away again and he prayed saying the same words. Three times Christ prayed to the father in the garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to do this. Please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. I think about the cross. I think about the shame that Jesus suffered. I think about the rejection. I think that Christ, I, I don't know exactly why he prayed that. I don't pretend to know why he prayed that. But I, I think that it has something to do with the fact that the father would have to turn his back on him because of the sins of us all. I don't know why Christ prayed that, but I know that it was going to be painful. And I know the cross was going to be shameful. And I know that all that was going to happen. But Christ knew there was a sacrifice that needed to be paid. Christ knew there was an ultimate atonement to be made. Jesus, what, is, what does it teach us here? It teaches us that his suffering can be framed as our salvation. His suffering can be framed as our salvation. You can paint the cross however you want to paint it. You can picture the cross however you want to picture it. But I want to tell you something. The cross is not framed with Christ hanging on the cross bleeding today. No, my friends, Christ is not there anymore. He's not on the cross bleeding today. He's not on the cross suffering today. No, he came down from the cross. He laid in a tomb for three days and then rose again. Guess what? Christ is alive today. I don't know how you want to frame the cross. I don't know how you want to picture the cross, but this is how I picture it. I picture it me kneeling at the cross. I picture the cross as a place of forgiveness. I picture the cross as a place of love. I picture the cross as a place of redemption. I picture the cross as a place of atonement. You can picture the cross as a place of cruelty, as sin and shame. But I picture the cross as where I became a new creature. Hey, it's all in how you frame it. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't walk away? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. And he allowed God to frame his life. It's all in how you frame it. All right, let's finish this message, amen? Look at this wall. It's kind of dark. We see here Joseph being laid down into the pit. Not a pleasant memory. We see the blind men begging on the side of the road. Not a pleasant memory, not a pleasant image. We see Paul in chains suffering with his thorn. We see Jesus hanging on the cross here in shame, open shame. I want to ask you a question tonight, or this morning, excuse me. What does the wall of your mind look like today? 
This morning, as you sit here, I I can't and I don't want access to your mind. Amen. (laughs) I can't see what's in your mind's eye. I can't see. I can't see the wall of your mind. Well, what's hanging on the wall of your mind today? Are you focused on your past and how people hurt you and how you made mistakes and all these things? Are you focused on the past? Are you focused on the imperfections in your life? Is that what you focus on every day? Are you focused on those thorns that God gives us? Are you focusing on your sin and your guilt and your shame? Aren't you glad today that Joseph didn't leave that up on the wall? That Joseph decided that he was going to forgive his brothers? Joseph was going to let the past go. Aren't you thankful that Joseph said, I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to take my revenge. I'm going to forgive my brothers. I'm going to love them. I'm going to take care of their families. Aren't you glad that Joseph made that decision to let his past go? What about the beggar, the blind beggar? Aren't you glad that he didn't let his imperfections stop him from growing and learning and loving the Lord. But aren't you glad that he went from being blind to being able to see and he went around his neighborhood and told others about Christ. If you read the story, it's a great story. The Pharisees came to him. They said, what happened to you? He said, I'm, I was blind and now I can see. And they said, yeah, we know that. But how did it happen? He said, I, I was blind and now I can see. Yeah, but what did he do to you? He did something and now I can see. Didn't I already tell you that twice? I mean, that's literally what the, almost what the Bible says. And aren't you glad that the blind man didn't stay in that condition? He said, I'm gonna, I want to let God frame my life. Aren't you glad that Paul the apostle didn't allow that thorn in the flesh to keep him, to, to discourage him? Aren't you glad that Paul at some point didn't say, you know what, forget it, it's not worth it. Aren't you glad that Paul said, I want to finish my course. I want to run the race. And when I get to heaven, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Aren't you glad that Paul finished his race? He didn't let the thorn in the flesh stop him. What about Jesus? Aren't you glad Christ went to the cross? Aren't you glad he didn't decide it's too much for him and he didn't want that that kind of suffering? And aren't you glad that now the cross is a place that you and I can come today? And it's a place that our neighbors can go today. Doesn't that look a little bit better? It's all in how you frame it. Same people, same wall. It's all in how you frame it. So I don't know about you today. I don't know if maybe there's something in your past. You need to let it go. You need to take that old dusty picture down. Pastor, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what they said to me. I don't know. I don't know that pain. Probably nobody does. You can leave that hanging on your wall if you want, or you can let God frame that for you. Well, pastor, you don't know about this, this imperfection I face. You don't know about this, and you don't know how much I, I probably don't. You can leave that on your wall today if you want. And you can look at it every morning when you wake up, or you can let God frame that. I don't know, maybe today there's a thorn and, and there's something in, that you didn't expect and you didn't ask for and you don't deserve. And you could either uh, uh, frame your life around being a victim and how, how horrible your life is. You can leave that hanging on your wall, or you can let God's strength be framed in your life. Maybe you're here today and you have sin and shame in your life. You know you're a sinner. You know that you're at variance with God. You know you're you're not right with the Lord. You can stay that way. You can live your whole life that way. Or, or you could come to the cross today. And the cross can go from something that's cruel to something that's special in your life. You know that Jesus died on the cross? Why did he die? He died to pay for all of your sin. He died to take your guilt. He died, he died to take your shame. And the Bible says, my sins are gone. So I don't know where you are today, but maybe today there's an old dusty picture that needs to come down. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.